Good morning. As I was waiting for the service to start this morning, I was looking at the screen here, and on the screen I saw some, some rather crazy words. I read a verse on the screen, and that verse read, In all things, in all situations, give thanks. Now, we're familiar with those words, so maybe those words aren't that crazy to us because we're so familiar with them. But take a moment and think and reflect on those words. In all things, give thanks. Yesterday morning, my wife received a call from her sister that her mother had a stroke. And so Joan drove up to North Carolina yesterday morning, and she's with her mom now. And in all things, give thanks. Between services, a brother came up to me and told me that he has cancer. And in all things, give thanks. I know for a fact that there are people in this room who are struggling physically, emotionally, struggling with identity, and in all things, give thanks. How can we do that? How can we give thanks in all things? I know Thursday we're going to be thankful, surely, right? Surely we're going to be thankful Thursday. Surely when we have that turkey and those mashed potatoes and The stuffing there, we'll be thankful. We'll be thankful in our plenty. But what I want to talk about today is how can we be thankful in our lack? How can we be thankful in all things? You know, it might just happen, probably won't, but it might just happen that we experience the classic Christmas story scene Right where the pack of wild dogs come rushing into the kitchen and tear the turkey off the counter and drag it out. And we sit down to our Thanksgiving dinner, and there at the centerpiece of our Thanksgiving dinner is that leftover pizza from Tuesday night. And in all, th- in all things, give thanks. Or, as we're sitting there with our pizza... We're like, well, at least the dogs didn't take the turnips. (laughs) I loved Thanksgiving dinner as a kid. It was my absolute favorite. In fact, when I was growing up, on on birthdays, we we got to choose what dinner we had. And I used to choose Thanksgiving dinner for my birthday, which is in May, right? (laughs) Because it's so good. I don't think my mom was a big fan of that, considering how much goes into Thanksgiving dinner, but bless her heart. But I was, I was thankful for all, I was thankful for almost all of the Thanksgiving dinner. I was thankful for the stuffing because it's the greatest stuffing in the world. It's my grandmother's recipe. And not only is my grandmother's stuffing the greatest stuffing in the world, I'm pretty sure that it's like one of the 10 greatest things in the world. Like uh, all things. I'm thankful for that stuffing. But my mom told me I had to be thankful for the turnips, too. And I'm like, Mom, why would I be thankful for the turnips? First, they don't taste good. 
Second, I don't even know what a turnip is. If for some reason one of you have a turnip in your pocket right now and you took it out and you held it up, I would have no idea. I'm not even sure a turnip is something that you could put in your pocket. I don't know. I talked to my mom yesterday and I actually asked her, why did you make turnips? Why do you make turnips on Thanksgiving dinner? And she said, well, the bitterness of the turnip is supposed to counterbalance the sweetness in the other elements in the meal. And I'm like, mom, if the answer to the question of why you do something starts with the bitterness, (laughs) that's probably not a legit reason. Maybe some traditions... Maybe some traditions we can let go. But can we be thankful in our lack? Can we be thankful for the things that aren't our favorite? Why, are, why do we tend to be thankful? We tend to be thankful when things go our way. We tend to be thankful when we get what we want. We tend to be thankful for the turkey, the stuffing. But can we be thankful in all things? And the answer to that question is yes, we can be. And that is not a testimony to our ability to become thankful. It's not a testimony to our ability to will to be thankful. The fact that we can be thankful in all things is a testimony to the power and the grace and the love of our God. Because when we received the word yesterday that my mother-in-law had a stroke, I don't see it. Alone, I can't see where I'm supposed to be thankful when I hear that news. But be thankful in all things. Let us pray. Lord, I pray that your spirit, who is present within us, your spirit would empty us so that your son may fill us. Fill us with the resources of your kingdom that we may be your people and know thanks in all things. Amen. Today I want to talk about the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes, of course, are the introduction of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is that, that great sermon that Jesus gives at the beginning of his ministry. But what we need to know about the Sermon on the Mount is the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus introducing his kingdom to the world. Jesus isn't just telling us, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. That's not what the sermon's about. The sermon is Jesus saying, this is my kingdom, and my kingdom is here. And it starts with the Beatitudes. So the Beatitudes are an expression of the value system of the kingdom of God. The Beatitudes, we're all familiar with the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are. And by the way, I'm sure I'm going to go back and forth between saying blessed and blessed because I'm honestly not sure. And I was was nervous all week. I'm like, is it one syllable or two syllables? Is it blessed or blessed? And I came to the conclusion that when you're just having a conversation with someone, it's blessed. But when you're preaching, it's blessed. Okay? (laughs) So we're going to get some blessedness. Okay? The Beatitudes are an expression of the value system of the kingdom of God. Do you want to know what the kingdom of God is like? Read the Sermon on the Mount. If you want to know what the kingdom of God is like, start with the Beatitudes, because Jesus did. And what do the Beatitudes tell us? 
The Beatitudes tell us a couple things. One, they tell us that the kingdom of God has come. It is no longer a future reality. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ stood on a hillside and he proclaimed in no uncertain terms that his kingdom had come. And we may know as we sit here in this place that the kingdom of God is present. I'm sorry, I don't usually solicit amens, but I might need one on that. Thank you. I've had a tough couple weeks, all right? The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is present. That's number one. Second thing, his kingdom has brought a whole new value system. And as such, there's a whole new set of goals, a whole new set of standards, a whole new set of ideas and things that we should be shooting for. It's a paradigm shift. You see, the, values, the value system of the world is all about accomplish, achieve, accumulate. The world tells you that you can make it on your own if you work hard enough, try hard enough, know, know enough, if you're popular enough, if you have enough affirmation from other people. The slogan of the value system of the world is, I can. But when I read the Beatitudes, I don't see a lot of I can. I see a whole lot of I can't. Because the value system of the kingdom of God is not about achieve, accomplish. It's not about accumulate. It's about empty. It's about lack. And the slogan of the kingdom of God is not I can. It's a lot closer to I can't, but he can. Not only can he, he has. Jesus Christ has created a path for us that we might be set free. Jesus Christ has created a path for us that we might be set free. And in our freedom, we can be thankful in all things, including our lack. If the world had a set of beatitudes, what would they be? Blessed are the plenty. Blessed are those who have plenty. Blessed are those who have health. Blessed are those who are wealthy. Blessed are those who are popular. Blessed are those who have influence. Blessed are those who are never sad ever. Those are the beatitudes of the world. What are Jesus' beatitudes? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger. Blessed are those who are persecuted. As we looked to the text, you can turn in your Bible or in your device to Matthew chapter 5. Before I read the text, I want to highlight one remarkable thing about the original language. The original language, this text was written in Greek. And when we read the Beatitudes, we read time and time again the word blessed or blessed. What's interesting in the Greek word for that word that we translate usually as blessed is makarios. What's remarkable is you know what that word means? It can be translated as blessed. But it also can be translated because it also means supremely happy. It also has a sense of supremely fortunate. Makarios. Supremely happy are those who mourn, says Jesus. 
I'm sorry, that doesn't make any sense. Supremely happy are those who are sad and broken. As I read this text, think about all those that Jesus says are makarios. And also think about how this is an introduction of the kingdom of God. And if we want to be a part of the kingdom of God, we must experience these things. And also, as I read this text, realize that if we are part of the kingdom of God, the king is pouring out these other things into us. If you would, if I might ask you to stand in honor of the word of God, let's look to the word, Matthew chapter 5. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And then he began to speak, and he taught them, saying, Blessed Makarios are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Makarios are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And you are salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Amen. Thank you. So the question that we're dealing with today is how can we be thankful in all things? How can we understand that we are blessed in our lack? Well, one really important thing to realize is when we read the Beatitudes and think about the things that Jesus is talking about, blessed are the poor in spirit. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, we know what it means to be poor. To be poor means you don't have, you lack, and you're impoverished. To be poor in spirit means I don't have the spiritual resources to make it. I don't have the spiritual resources that are necessary for me to enter into the gates of an almighty God. There is no amount of good that I can do. There is no amount of acts of, of helping and service. There's nothing that I can do to accumulate enough spiritual resources to enter into the presence of an almighty God. And so I stand before you and I am poor in spirit. But I am blessed because in my poor poorness, in my poverty, I have come through the grace and the leading of the Spirit of God to the realization 
that I can't possibly do enough. But it is only in my lack that I come to that conclusion. In other words, if I had all the resources of the world, if I had all the wealth of the world, if I was never sick, if I was happy 24-7, if everybody in the world thought I was the greatest, if all my students actually liked me, Some do. If I had all that the world could possibly give me, I would live under the lie that I don't need Jesus Christ. But in my lack, I cry out in desperation. Because I have come to places, I have come to times, I have entered into situations in my life where I've seen no way forward. And it is in those moments that I seek the face of Jesus Christ. And it is in those moments that he pours out into me the resources of his kingdom. I always told myself I wouldn't use a visual aid that involves water, but I mostly made it through first service, so we're going to give it another shot. How can we be thankful in our lack? That's the question. Well, the default for us, of course, is to fill ourselves up, right? To fill ourselves up with all that the world has. Because we come into this world and we're socialized to believe that if we get enough, we're going to be okay. If I get enough money, I'm going to be okay. Not just money, though. How about health? How about influence? How about power? Or how about just being really good? And we try to fill ourselves up with all the things that this world has to offer. The only problem is we wake up one day in immense pain. And we don't know why. And those resources that we thought were so important, we just lost some. And a few weeks later, we go to our bank and we try to get money out and there's none in there. And a few weeks weeks later, we get a call that our mother had a stroke. And a few weeks after that, we get a diagnosis, that diagnosis that we've been dreading for years. And all those resources that we spent so much time and energy building up, they're gone. Be thankful in all things. Why? Because Jesus Christ, when he stood on that hill 2,000 years ago, what he was saying is, in your lack, I will come with my kingdom and I will fill you up. And I will fill you up with resources that you will never lose. I will fill you up with resources that there is no power nor principality that can ever take from you. I will fill you with those resources But it is only in our lack that we, in our tiny faith, ever look to the kingdom, ever look to Jesus Christ and cry out, Lord, fill me. So we are blessed in our lack because it is through our lack that we know the abundance of the kingdom of God. Be thankful in all things.
As we think about the Beatitudes, I want us to think about this crazy idea of makarios, being supremely happy and supremely fortunate in our lack. If I know that that diagnosis will draw me closer to Jesus Christ, can I be thankful? If I know that that lack of financial resources will make me more dependent upon the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ, will I be thankful? It all depends, of course, on what our priorities are. One thing, being a follower of Jesus Christ, there's only one thing. Jesus Christ. You keep everything else. The world can have everything else. I just want Jesus. I want to see his face. I want to feel his comfort. I want to know his peace. And it is in our lack, he says, that we know those things. The Beatitudes, I want us to think about the Beatitudes in three ways. The Beatitudes as proclamation, the Beatitude as instruction, and the Beatitude as judgment. The Beatitude as proclamation. When Jesus Christ spoke the words on the Sermon on the Mount, he was proclaiming that his kingdom had come. He was proclaiming the good news. He was making clear that all the Old Testament prophecies about the coming of the kingdom and the coming of the king, the coming of the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus was proclaiming that all those prophecies had come true. And I'm pretty sure there was not a single person on the hill who really got it. But it doesn't change the fact that when Jesus Christ spoke the words, when Jesus Christ spoke the words, supremely happy and fortunate, are those of you who mourn. When Jesus spoke those words, it was an eschatological moment because the kingdom of God was being made present on earth. Because what Jesus was doing, he was proclaiming that the old value system was gone and the new value system had come. The Old Testament prophecies were being fulfilled. One of my absolute favorite Old Testament prophecies comes from the book of Isaiah. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. When Jesus spoke the words of the Beatitudes, when Jesus spoke the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was saying, I am the one. Jesus is claiming for himself that he is the anointed one. He is the one whom the Lord God anointed to come and to bring comfort and good news to the poor. He is the one who has come to bind up the brokenhearted. He is the one who has come to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from the darkness for the prisoners. He is the one and he has set us free. And because we are free, we can be thankful in all things. 
Now, how does this kingdom of his work? Well, it's interesting because if you look at the Beatitudes, they operate according to a formula, right? The first half of the formula is blessed is, right? Fill in the blank. And that's a present tense. And this is really important, right? Supremely happy is now. We can be. Present tense. Then, okay, the second half. Now, in Beatitudes 1 and 8, which are first and last, the second half of the formula is also present tense. Blessed are the poor in spirit, what? For theirs is the kingdom of God. It doesn't say, for theirs will be. It says that the poor in spirit have the kingdom of God. It says that those who are persecuted have the kingdom of God, present tense. But the other Beatitudes, what? Start present tense, but second half is what? Future. Blessed are those who mourn. Why? Go ahead. Say it. It's exciting. It's wonderful. Jump in. Seriously. I can't tell you how much fun I'm having, so get in on it. Okay? What? For they shall be comforted. Tense? Future. So it's really interesting because when we look at the Beatitudes, we see some of the Beatitudes, first and last, are present, present. And both of those, first and last, have as the second half the kingdom of God. The other ones are future. And what that tells us is this. The kingdom of God is present, but it's not present in its fullness. It's what we call the now and the not yet. The kingdom of God is here, but the kingdom of God is not yet fully revealed here. It is being revealed. And we, the people of Jesus Christ, are the agents that the Spirit uses to reveal his kingdom to a lost world. And the more that we are part of that revelation, the more that we work, the more that we serve others, the more we're filled, the more we taste the kingdom of God. And the more we say, I want more. I want more. In our lack, Jesus comes along and he fills us with the resources of his kingdom. And they're so good. We're like, you know what? I want a little more space in here. What can I get rid of? What can I pour out? I don't need all that money. The Lord's got me. I don't need all that time. The Lord's got me. And we start willingly pouring out our resources. And you know what? You do, don't you? Jesus responds. And he fills us up. He fills us up with the resources of the kingdom of God. It is present. It is here. And it is also being revealed. And that should be a great encouragement to us. We can be thankful in all things. We can be thankful in all things. You know why? Because the kingdom of God is here. You know what it means that the kingdom of God is here? The kingdom of God, the easiest way to understand that, it's a remarkably complex theological construct, of course. But when we think about what does it mean, the kingdom of God, understand it simply as the rule and the authority of God. And so if the rule and the authority of God is here, that means whoever was ruling and whoever had authority in this place before not so much anymore. 
So when Jesus Christ stands up on the hill and proclaims that the kingdom of God is coming, he is proclaiming that the rule and the authority of the enemy is over. We don't live in a world that is run and owned and governed by the enemy. Do we want to be encouraged this morning? Do you want to know that you can be thankful in all things? Then know this. This is our Father's world. And our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ sits enthroned on high. This world is not under the dominion of the enemy. Because Jesus Christ has come. The kingdom of God is here. The Beatitudes as proclamation We can know that the kingdom of God is here. The Beatitudes are also a set of instructions on how to enter and experience the kingdom of God. We read the text, right? Who gets in? Okay, keep in mind this is is the kingdom of the king of kings. This is not some, you know, third-rate, tiny little kingdom somewhere. This is not a kingdom that's going to be around for 20 years, 100 years, 2,000 years, 10,000 years. This is the kingdom of the king of kings. This is the son of David whose throne will know no end. This is that kingdom we're talking about. What does it take for us to enter that kingdom? I bet it's a lot. I bet we better bring a lot. I bet we better, better bring a lot of money, a lot of power, a lot of influence, a lot of popularity, And what does Jesus say? How do you enter this kingdom? You experience the lack. Those who mourn, those who are meek, the world says be bold. The world says you want to make it in this world, assert yourself. The world says, if you want to make it in this world, say, this is the way we're going to do it. I know the best answer. Follow me. Jesus says, blessed are those who are meek. Jesus says, blessed are those when people run all over you. Jesus says, rejoice and be glad. There are children in this church who go to school. and Every week they go to school. Someone makes fun of them. Be glad in all things. How do we how do we process that? Seek after the kingdom of God first, and all these things will be added unto you. And it's important we understand that Jesus is not saying, like, Jesus isn't on the hill there and he's looking out in the audience and he sees Andrew out there and he's like, oh, Andrew, Andrew's, he's always been poor in spirit, so he's going to get the kingdom of God. Let's see, who's the mourners out there? Mary, Mary, I know you mourn a lot, okay? So you're going to get comfort, okay? And uh, where's the meek ones? Where's the, uh, Matthew, Matthew, you're meek. Um, You're going to get the earth, It's not like Santa's list, where Santa goes down the list of all the good and bad 
children and says, okay, Bobby's going to get the transformer and Jeannie's going to get the Barbie. That's not what's going on here. When Jesus says all of the Beatitudes, they all apply to all of us. And the reason we know that is because first and last, right, the first and the eighth are an inclusio, both end with theirs is the kingdom of God. What Jesus is saying is all of us, right, all of these things, we are to be all of these things and we receive all of these blessings. And so are we willing to sign up for the kingdom of God? Well, let's think about the first half of the Beatitudes. Are we willing to sign up for the kingdom of God? If we want to sign up for the kingdom of God, Jesus is saying we have to mourn, we have to be poor, we have to be unassertive, we have to be persecuted, and we have to let people walk all over us. And we're like, dude, sign me up for that. But wait. Because Jesus is saying that the people of Christ will receive the kingdom of God. And they will know the comfort of God. And they will receive the earth as an inheritance. And they will be given the righteousness of God. And they will know mercy. And we will see God. And wait, wait, I can't believe it, but it gets better. We will be called the sons of God. Sign me up for that. There is nothing about me. There's nothing that I have that I can somehow buy or purchase the title of Son of God. And yet, that's what Jesus is saying. Sign me up. What does it take to get in And what is it that we get? We need to keep in mind that this isn't just about our salvation. This isn't just about, okay, before we get saved, we have to mourn. But once we get saved, no more mourning. I want you to think about someone in your life right now who is struggling with pain. I'm thinking about my mother-in-law right now. I don't feel like smiling. Think about someone that you know who doesn't know Jesus Christ. And in their lack of a relationship to Jesus Christ, they're going to spend eternity separated from their God. Think about that person that you know. I'm not smiling. When we accept Jesus Christ, it's not like the morning ends. There's a you in that word. We must be brokenhearted for the world. How are we going to be salt and light? We're going to be salt and light by being brokenhearted for those who do not have Jesus Christ. Because it is in our brokenheartedness and in our empathy that we are going to be motivated to go 
to love. If all we do as Christians is go 24-7, smile on our faces, the world is not going to feel love. The world is going to be annoyed. Now, am I saying we can't be happy? Of course I'm not saying that, because Jesus starts the whole thing with what? Supremely happy. But the point is we have to recognize that we live in a world of pain. And it's delusional for us just to be like, okay, this isn't a problem. Let us work. Let us work as agents of the kingdom of God for those who do not have Jesus Christ. What do we get? What do we get from the kingdom? We get comfort, righteousness, and mercy. We get comfort. We get comfort. And ultimately, we look forward to the day of ultimate comfort when all the tears will be wiped away. I will be thankful in all things because I know there is a coming a day when I will never experience pain again. We are given righteousness. It's not my righteousness. I have no righteousness. I have none. But in the crucifixion and the death of Jesus Christ, he poured his righteousness out. And in his resurrection, I was given access to his mercy. Comfort, righteousness, and mercy. Inherit the earth, see God, and be called sons of God. In the beginning of creation, God gave authority of all creation to Adam and Eve. Humanity, God's image, they, we were destined to inherit the earth, but in our sin, we lost that. The kingdom of God has come, and it has put things right, and Jesus is saying, my people will inherit the earth. Jesus is saying, my people will see God. In the Old Testament, Moses, Moses, the great prophet, right? Moses, the one who led the Israelites. Moses wanted to see God, and God said, you can't look at me. If you were to look at me, you'd be consumed. So hide yourself in a rock, and I'll just sort of pass by you. We, the people of Jesus Christ, will one day look into the face of God. Sign me up for that. And we will be called sons of God. I wonder what the world has to offer that holds a candle to any of that. And so let us be thankful in all things. Finally, the Beatitudes are an expression of judgment on the system of this world. When Jesus stood up there and he proclaimed those crazy words, what he was really doing is he was saying that the world is crazy. The world is wrong. The world is messed up. And imagine the Pharisees. The Pharisees spent all their time and all their energy about self-righteousness, about I can do it, we can do it. Jesus was speaking judgment on the Pharisees, judgment on the scribes. That's why it didn't take too long before the Pharisees and the scribes said, we've got to do something about this one. Because his whole system is, from their perspective, completely wrong. Jesus has brought judgment on this world, but he's brought victory to his people. We all feel pain. We all experience pain. So who am I to stand up here and say you have victory in the midst of your pain? We all mourn. We all lose. 
Who am I to stand up here and say you have victory and all of that? Some of us will sit in that doctor's office and receive that news, and we will hear that word. Or worse yet, we'll be in that doctor's office and we'll hear that word relative to our child. Who am I to stand up here and say, be thankful in all things? Know this, that in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that diagnosis has been defeated. That illness, that illness that perhaps you have right now, know this, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that illness has been defeated. That illness might take my life. And if it does, I'm going to look at that illness and say, that's all you got? Because if it does take my life, that only means I get to see Jesus Christ. So let's look at the world and just say, that's all you got? Because in the power and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have been set free. There is nothing that this world can throw our way. There is nothing that this world can throw our way that hasn't been overcome by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because all of the nastiness, all of the hatred, all of the bigotry, all of the illness, all of the pain exists as an expression of death. And in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, death was defeated. And there is coming a day when all of those things will be completely rolled up and cast into the lake of fire forever. And we will be fully set free. And we will see the face of God. Give me some of that. We can be thankful in all things because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When we hear those words, when we hear the word stroke, heart attack, cancer, how do we pray? Our first thought, of course, is to pray for healing, and well, we should pray for healing. But we do not pray for healing by the whole cross the fingers, Lord, I hope you heal me. The fact of the matter is, he might choose to or he might choose not to, but what do we know? We know for a fact he's going to pour his kingdom into us. But we also don't stand there and say, Lord, because I know I'm your favorite, I know you will heal me. So how are we supposed to pray when we lose our health? How are we supposed to pray when we lose our money? How are we supposed to pray in our lack? Lord, I thank you for the presence of your kingdom and the victory of your son. Pour out your kingdom. Pour out the victory of your son into my lack. And if it is your will to fill me with physical healing, I will praise you for your love, your grace, your mercy, and your power. And if you choose not to heal me, still I will praise you for your love, your grace, your mercy, and your power. I will praise you because I know this. Regardless of whether Jesus Christ heals us of our physical pain, he is pouring, us in, pouring into us something far greater, and that is his kingdom. What's our priority? To get all the things that this world has to offer or get a taste of the kingdom of God? And know this, when we get a taste of the kingdom of God, you'll want more. And you'll say, Lord, fill me up. Fill me up with your kingdom. And he'll fill us up with his kingdom. And we'll get to the point where we think we're filled. And we're like, oh, that's good. But you know what happens? The spirit of God, you know what he does? He keeps going. 
He keeps going. He keeps going. The resources keep coming. The kingdom of God keeps flowing, keeps getting poured out into us. And it overflows. And you know what that makes us? Salt and light. Because the world will look at us in our pain and say, how in the world can you experience pain like that? How can you experience pain and look to serve other people? And we'll give the answer that we can be thankful in all things because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Pain is a certainty in this world. In this world, pain is a certainty. We all will experience pain. Thankfulness is a choice. Can we choose to be thankful? We can because of Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, there is coming a day when, unless the Lord returns first, I am going to breathe my last. And when I breathe my last... I am, for the first time in my existence, going to be completely empty of all the resources of this world. I don't even have that single breath left. And on that day, the Spirit of God will come. And He will pour into me His victory. He will pour into me His kingdom. And for the first time in my existence, I will be completely filled with the kingdom of God. And for the first time in my existence, I will know Makarios fully. And on that day, I will hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. You keep the world. I am absolutely serious. You can have it. If I can just hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Can we be thankful in all things? We can be. Because we who are the people of God, we who are the people of the kingdom of God, we are waiting for the day when we will all hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen.